usually start recording these intros earlier. It's 11.24 p.m. right now, and I think that my enthusiasm is faltering a little bit. But anyway, hello, 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 and welcome to In Flight, Threshold's best and only podcast. Almost forgot it there. I'm your host, Solvashes. How is everybody doing this week? I've had a pretty great week. I am excited for the holiday season to begin. It is, in New York at least, the marking point for when... The ridiculous amount of traffic between Thanksgiving and New York. Thanksgiving and New York. Thanksgiving and Christmas actually stops. New York gets a ton of traffic between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it's actually really terrible. The, the whole city just basically slows down. It happens on both the trains and the cars. Mostly cars. There's a lot more car traffic than there is. But it's like a perpetual slowness. And then right after Christmas, it dies down. And then it goes up for, like, the day of New Year's, and then it goes back down again. So that's something to look forward to, because then it won't take me an hour to get to some place where it would actually take me 30 minutes. On this week's episode, we have Bill from iBlue Yonder, and we also have Keizo, who's doing the news for us today. Keizo, tell us about the news. Welcome to the... In Flight Episode 7 news coverage, my name is Keizo, and I am reporting the news today from my awesome new chair, which is actually a beanbag, and it's called a comfort sack, and it is amazing. So anyway, chairs aside, let's get into the news here. Starting off, this week's news is Laminar Research, who have rolled out two new product updates. The first of these to be released was Glomo, officially known as Xplay Mobile Global. And the update brings global scenery to Laminar Research's mobile flight simulator, the same way the desktop version does via the X-Plane Scenery Gateway. The update is available for free and can be downloaded from both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. Next up from Laminar is an update to the X-Plane Desktop app, which has now been updated to version 11.41. The update brings many bug fixes and improvements to the simulator, and you should make sure to read the full changelog over on the editorial. Kicking off our scenery news is Justin with the release of version 2 of their Dusseldorf scenery for X-Plane 11. The update primarily adds new PBR ground textures and tons of various new models. You should make sure to check out the full version 2 feature list over on the editorial. And starting off our aircraft news for this week is Aerobasque who have teased a new aircraft in a surprise Facebook post. Nothing has been stated about what the aircraft is, but some cockpit controls are visible, along with what appears to be carbon fiber materials making up much of the image. Make sure to check out the previews over on the Aerobasque Facebook page for more. Kicking off our airliner news for this week is the full release of Flag Factor A320 version 1. Version 1 adds the Failure Scenario Editor, Cargo Heat and Smoke Panels functionality, Pop-Out 2D Windows, Particle Effects, and contains many other fixes and improvements. A post by the developers addressed the question some may have had of if the release marks the end of development of the aircraft, to which the developers simply replied, no, in fact it is the beginning. Check out the article for more. Up next in the scenery department is PDI Simulations, who have updated their Vittoria Ferranda scenery. The developer has added compatibility with the popular SAM plugin, which allows the scenery to make use of animated marshallers, jetways, and seasons. In addition, there were various improvements and fixes for performance and stability. To update to the latest version, re-download the package from your store of purchase. Make sure to check out the article for full details. And continuing with Spanish scenery is Windsock Simulations in cooperation with Simwings to release their Malaga Airport for X-Plane. Some features include fully customized SAM jetways, animated ground traffic, as well as over 180 square kilometers of high-resolution satellite imagery, among many other features. 
you can pick up Malaga over on the Threshold store for $29.99 USD. Full description available in the article. And back at it again is Flight Factor, who have teased the new 767FPDS update. In a post on the group's Twitter page, Flight Factor developers have teased the new update to their 767 aircraft, featuring the flat panel display system, also known as FPDS, but nothing else was said about a possible time frame. Flight Factor also previously released the FPDS add-on for the 757, and have also recently shown the Boeing C-32 variant of the 757 as a development. Make sure to check out the 767 FPDS previews over on the editorial. And closing out the news for this week is Just Flight, who have released their all-new Archer TX-LX package. The PA-28181 Archer TX-LX for X-Plane 11 features PBR materials with real-time environment reflections for superb quality and realism, HD textures for the highest possible texture clarity, and numerous animations, including a multi-animation passenger door that, when open, responds to G-forces and air resistance. You can purchase the Piper Archer TX-LX package from the Just Flight website now. Make sure to check out the article for full details. And that's our news coverage for this week. If you want to find out more details on any of today's news, you can find it over on the Threshold editorial, which can be found at thresholdx.net. That's T-H-R-E-S-H-O-L-D-X dot N-E-T. Now, if you excuse me, Soul, I am going to adjourn to my comfort sack chair. <laughs> I cannot relate. I do not have a comfort sack chair, but I am recording from the comfort of my bed, so I guess that that qualifies a bit. Anyway... This morning, I am joined by Bill Wimmick. He is one of the scenery developers for iBlue Yonder, who has released scenery such as KPDX Portland, Pearson Field, and Nantucket. Welcome, Bill, to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you doing this morning? I'm all right. Just having a lazy Sunday morning here um, before I get into my hardcore development later on. I myself am kind of in that, that space as well because uh, I... I have to do some podcast editing later, actually. So I guess we're both in that little bit of that lazy Sunday mood before we have to hop into our busy work. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to take at least an hour or two every weekend, I find. Yeah. You need that break. Otherwise, you're going to go insane. <laughs> yeah. So true. So true. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the scenery development area. You specifically, we haven't interviewed anyone here who actually does scenery development for not only X-Plane, but also P3D and FSX. Oh, yeah. I've been, uh, gosh, I've been at scenery development for um, about 16 years now, I think. 16, 17, somewhere in there. Um, I, I first got into it back, what was my, my first simulator was Microsoft Combat Flight Sim 1. Um, so that was like 1998 or so, I think, uh, and my first civilian sim. And the one where I really got into scenery design was, uh, I think, FS2000. Um, and I, I got into it right around, I think, 2000, 2001. Um, I came to it through um, bush scenery. Because I've always liked bush flying and, and small GA planes and that sort of thing. Um, that was like my original fascination for the hobby. And I came across some really fun bush sceneries um, uh, that were just freeware, as I recall, for for uh, FS2000 that were in, I don't know, maybe the AvSim library, library or flightsim.com, something like that. And I just really got into it. And I realized after a while, um, because I have a background in 3D design, at least somewhat, um, and I have a technical bent, and I enjoyed photography and Photoshop and that sort of thing. And I realized that all that could come together. You know, all those skills basically were, were setting me up to be kind of involved in the scenery world. So that's, that's my original 
start to the whole thing was just making my own little freeware bush sceneries. You started really early on. A lot of the people that I've interviewed have started maybe five years ago at the max, but like 1920-ish years, that's quite a bit of time. How has scenery development changed since then? You know, it's been kind of a linear progression, I'd say. I mean, like basically the guts of it haven't really changed that much in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's uh, the tools obviously have grown up and gotten much more sophisticated. Um, The technology has, has, has gotten much more fleshed out over the years. But the the nuts and bolts of what we do, you know, just laying down a bunch of polygons and texturing them as well as we can, hasn't really changed that much. Um, and I really don't find it to be uh, all that different developing for X-Plane compared to FSX and P3D. I mean, it's still the same concepts, slightly different tool sets. Um, you know, mm-hmm. some aspects of it are better than the Microsoft Realm. Some aspects are a little lacking compared to it. So, uh I'm I'm really kind of enjoying working for for both platforms right now, and I'm kind of, you know, lumping in FSX and P3D because they're so similar. If anyone goes to your website, then they'll notice that you actually have a lot of your exploit sceneries also on um, also on FSX and P3D. So is that a porting thing, or do you have to do it separately? You know, I. <laughs> People ask me whether I port, and um, I guess it depends on how you define porting. Um, I mean, essentially, what I'm really doing is I'm creating the basic artwork. I'm creating the assets in my 3D program in Blender um, and Photoshop and whatnot. And then I'm exporting them to both the sims and setting them up according to, you know, doing the layouts and everything according to whatever that sim requires and whatever that tool set supports. And it's really not so much that I'm porting things. It's that I'm essentially doing what anybody would do if they were authoring, say, native X-Plane scenery or native FSX scenery. Um, It just so happens that my tool sets support being able to export to both, you know, and I've learned WED and I know, all, of course, all my FSX and P3D scenery tools and whatnot. Um, So it's really more like creating two separate sceneries. It just happens that, you know, 90% of the work is done already in creating the art assets. And that's the same for both Sims. Oh, I see. So it's instead of having to, to port, you're just developing in a way that makes it really, really convenient to bring it over to both of them at the same time. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't stress the really convenient part too much. There's, there's right. a lot about it that isn't all that convenient, but um, it's once you've got a good model that's textured properly and looks good in your 3D program, it's not that hard to export it for either sim. So then why don't, why do you think that developers, scenery developers don't do that all the time? Because that seems like something completely logical if you if you're able to uh, design something where you're able to put it on both and then get like twice the benefit why wouldn't someone do that uh i think maybe it comes down to some people tend to be a little partisan you know Uh, i know that's a crazy idea right that somebody would like one sim more than the other (laughs) but um it's uh that's some of it i think is um that they just have the world and the tools that they understand and the techniques they know and they just kind of stick with that for me, I think really what it came down to, uh, I mean, I was doing FSX and P3D stuff for years because, I mean, that was the sim that I knew. Those were, That was the platform I was familiar with. Um, and I had looked at uh, X-Plane in previous versions. I had, I've owned it since I think version seven or eight, but um, I never quite 
And it, it didn't enthuse me, the, the, the thought of doing scenery for it until we got to X-Plane 11. Um, you know, I think that brought a lot of new people into the fold because it just looked so good. It was such an improvement in just the general atmospherics and the visuals and, you know, graphics are, are about 90% of what appealed to me as a scenery guy. You know, I'm not really, scenery doesn't really get that far into things like flight dynamics and weather and everything. I just want to look good in the sim. Um, and with X-Plane 11, it does look really, really good. Um, in fact, in some ways I think surpasses the Microsoft, uh, sims from before. Um, but why, why somebody wouldn't do that? Well, for one thing, it's, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to hear, I'm sure for an x crowd, but if you're already working in the P3D space, um, and doing X, uh, FSX scenery, it's not really like saying you're doubling your user base. You're certainly not doubling your income, um, to work in x Um, it's a nice adjunct income and it's a decent sized market. And I've certainly met a lot of really enthusiastic people that enjoy the work that I've done for explain, but it is as far as just pure, you know, money makers go, um, it is uh, lagging pretty far behind the P3D crowd. Um, so I think a lot of FSX and P3D developers don't get into it because they just feel like it's going to be more work and it might not be worth it. Um, I happen to think it is worth it, but I can, I can totally understand somebody not taking that position. It's like more work, less payoff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, if you, if you're familiar enough with X-Plane to understand how the scenery works, it really isn't that much more work to uh, export it, which is why I got into it in the first place. You know, it's like, if I can do, if, if I can just with a few extra steps can make it work in X-Plane, then, then heck yeah, I'm going to, cause it looks great. And it's, yeah. it's kind of fun to have some variety in your life, you know, to see your work in a different sim platform. So. Yeah, totally worth it to me. I can't speak to why anybody else doesn't do it, but I'd recommend anybody who's in the FSX world that wants to think about it. I think you definitely should look into it because um, it's it's got a lot of a lot of great a lot of great traits that that I really enjoy as a designer. So you mentioned that you were really into bush piloting, and that's where it started. Is that because you actually flew? bush pilot planes or because it was just something that you noticed that just fascinated you? Well, I think, um, I, I like the, the idea of, of a rougher, smaller airfield that has a lot more character to it, you know, as opposed to a large international airport. And that was what appealed to me in the beginning. Um, and I like bush aircraft. I like simple, you know, sort of sturdy, very straightforward planes. Um, and, and I, I've always loved like, even when I was a kid, when I was building plastic model kits, I loved to weather things and get them really beat up and really, you know, scuffed and make them look kind of world weary. And uh, you really get that with bush planes. You know, you don't you don't see a 172 on a on a, a nice clean ramp looking all beat to hell usually, <laughs> at least if it's not, not if it's been halfway well maintained. But a bush plane can really get banged up. And uh, I think that kind of character that really appeals to me. That's why I liked it in the first place. So character. Um, that's that's definitely something that has come up a lot when talking to scenery developers is trying to make an airport have character. What are some of the things that you do to make an airport that you're designing have character to it? Um, I think what I tend to do is choose airports and choose projects that I think already in the real world have a lot of character to them. Um, and that usually involves interesting architecture, 
um, sort of unusual features, uh, anything that, that sets it apart from just sort of a standard airport. Like I live in Dallas, Texas right now. And, uh, I, for, for one reason or another, find myself going to DFW to the, to the main airport here fairly frequently to either fly somewhere or to pick someone up or whatever. And every time I'm driving through that airport, I think every building looks the same. I mean, I'm sure there's some character in there somewhere if you look close enough, but it is a massive place to begin with. You know, there are just hundreds of buildings and they all seem to be roughly made out of the same stuff and following the same pattern. And I just don't see much in there that that stands out to me. It's just Um, boring. Yeah. You know, whereas, um, I mean, I, I know PDX was a pretty far cry from you know, a small Bush airport. It's, it's a decent sized international airport, but it's, it's got a couple things that I loved. It's grown up over time. So there's a lot of variation in the look of the buildings. Um, you know, like the, the GA ramps are certainly very different and quite a bit older, um, than the main terminals. And even in, in the terminal area, there are a couple of additions and things have changed over time. So it has some, I don't know, some, some texture to it. It doesn't all just look like it was built at once. Um, and even, even the terminal, even the newer parts of the terminal, um, are interesting or well-designed and have some interesting features. And, and I think it's just very pleasing to look at. Um, so that's generally where I come down at my other favorite one. I, I can usually look at like a small airport and know right away whether I'm interested in building it or not. If I can find one thing that I latch into and, uh, one of my projects that I, that I did a while back was a uh, part of my series of New England airports, and mm-hmm. I uh, a friend of mine took me to um, Plum Island Airport in Massachusetts when when I was visiting one time, mm-hmm. and uh, right away I noticed that about two thirds to three quarters of the way down the runway there was a, a wooden fence built right across the runway, and on the other side of that fence there was all this equipment. There was a, like a Winnebago and a couple of, of boats and just you know, on a caterpillar, just crap parked on the runway. And I'm like, what is this? I've never seen a runway where people just park stuff on it. And I found out that uh, there was a property dispute and the person who owned the property at the end of the runway didn't want it to be used as a runway anymore. So he put a fence across it and just parked his crap on the runway. (laughs) I'm like, okay, when I found that out, I'm like, I have to do this airport. This (laughs) this is my kind of airport because it's just weird. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's got a, a story to it and some humanity and just... It's just bizarre. And that that is exactly the kind of thing that will, will get me going with an airport. So can you walk me through some of the airports that you've done and what has been the spark that has started you on them? Sure, sure. Um, well, like, for instance, uh, one of the first ones I did for Orbix, the first one, was um, one called Stark's Twin Oaks, which just got released, by the way, for X-Plane just a, a few weeks ago. Um, and... Uh, um, but I, I did it back in 2008, I think, for um, FSX. And uh, that was near my house. I lived in Portland, Oregon at the time. Um, that was an airport that wasn't too far away, but it was out in the country. And it had been uh, a dairy farm before the people who uh, turned it into an airport bought it. And it still had like uh, farm silos, you know, and a big barn and whatnot that had just sort of been incorporated into the field. Um, and so they had hangers built all around them, but you can still see the dairy farm silos and whatnot. And I thought that's cool. That's, that's, that's something that you don't see every day as a silo at an airport. Um, and, 
gosh, I really, uh, I love doing, uh, occasionally we'll do uh, a fictional airport. Um, so like Cushman Meadows, um, which was another Orbex release um, that I'm hoping will come out for X-Plane soon. Um, that one was entirely made up. We we decided to uh, just create one from scratch. And I, so I just found a cool location for it um, in, on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington. And just once I had found the spot, I just sort of like made up the the uh, ortho photo. I took the regular ortho imagery and just like cleared the trees off and made my own runway and just took pictures of buildings from all over the place. There are like buildings that I photographed that were in New England and buildings that I photographed in South Carolina and some that were in Oregon and like even a, the one of the main covered uh, hangar areas, not really a hangar, but just a shelter, was a picnic shelter that was in a, in a park right up the street from my house. And I just upsized it and turned it into a hanger, you know? So that one was fun because it was just pure creativity. It was just, let's just make something up on the fly. So that was, that was a blast, I think. And all my New England stuff was, was just because I think they're such cute, quaint little airports and, and the area was kind of underrepresented in the Sims at the time. Um, so I was, I was having a good time building a bunch of airports that were close to one another. So why the change over to Portland? It's it's kind of like the um, the black cat in in the litter. It's 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 very very different compared to everything else that you have on your website. You know, I'll tell you uh, a couple of things. One is uh, I I like doing airports that I have a personal connection to, um, and I did definitely because I lived in Portland for fourteen years, and that was my home airport. You know, every time I left to go somewhere or came back home again, it was through PDX. So I had a strong, strong feeling of it anyway, as it being sort of, you know, my home, my airport, my home field. Um, and it came along at a time when I was kind of at a crossroads. I couldn't decide. I'm still enjoying doing the scenery work, but this was a couple of years ago. And um, it wasn't starting to get stale, but uh, it was starting to get, the, the amount of work that I was having to do for the amount of income it was generating was kind of lopsided. You know, I felt like I was working too hard for what little money I was making at it. And I really wanted to be able to move into scenery design full time um, because I had been doing web design and web, web development up to that point for 20 something years and just had reached the point with that where it just didn't feel like fun anymore. And I wasn't really enjoying it. I needed a new spark to get me interested again. Um, and building Bush airports, even though I was really loving it, um, was not cutting it as far as income went. And people kept telling me, you should do bigger airports. They sell great. You'll be happy with it. They're not that much more work. And I kept thinking, yeah, right. They're not that much more work. I, I can see how, if it takes me three months to do a Bush airport, how long will it take me to do a large airport? It would take me years. Um, and I realized, um, at the point where I started kind of researching doing Portland that, um, my skills had increased. My my tool set had gotten better. Um, I had some backup in terms of other people who were willing to help me um, uh, doing contract work and whatever. And I realized that I was probably overblowing how much work it was. Um, and in the end, I think maybe it only took about four months to build PDX from start to finish, not including doing the uh, X-Plane port. Um, but, um, and I, I have to say, it, it really just breathe new life into me because not only was it interesting to build, but I had that real sense of accomplishment when I was done, that it was this much larger airport, you know, and it, and I thought it still looked good. If I still looked to my standard visually and graphically, 
Um, and yet the, the money it made was just many, many times over greater than anything I'd ever had from a Bush airport. Um, so it's, it may look like it's sort of the standout and the, the black cat in the crowd, but I think what it really is, is the start of a new direction, um, that I'm heading into now because I'm, I'm working on love field, which is currently my local smaller, smaller international airport right now. Um, it's about the size of PDX, maybe a little smaller. Um, and, uh, I am finding that it is so much easier to build these now that I've kind of gotten my head around, you know, different methods and, and different tools for building larger airports. And I've got a great crew. I've got people that are working with me, backing me up, um, that are really helping move these things along. So, um, yeah, I think I'm just branching out, just getting, getting into larger projects. I'm very happy to be doing it. Major props to you for doing Love Field. I, I flew in there recently and there's absolutely no X-plane scenery for it. Uh, so that's definitely something that I'm happy that you're going to be bringing to the market. Just putting that out there. What is your process for designing these airports? Do you use Google Maps? Do you use other types of overlays? How do you go about designing? Um, I use whatever I can get, to be honest. I, I do a lot of information gathering before I decide to do an airport. Um, cause it's important to have good ortho imagery, you know, to do the aerial photographs, to do the groundwork. Um, it's really important that I be able to, uh, get really good, uh, images of the buildings, you know, hangars and everything all around the field. And not just from the, 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 uh, from the side you get to as a passenger from the, the sort of the land side, I guess, but from the air side as well. And that can be hard to get, um, Always before, I like to take my own photographs of an airport, but I have found with these larger airports that that can be a bit challenging because, you know, the management don't like you just cruising around places you shouldn't be taking photographs. I get really nervous about that. Um, and I got really lucky with PDX in that the, someone who worked for the Port of Portland in a pretty high up position um, was also a SEM fan and uh, gave me access to the airport in places that you wouldn't normally get. Oh, no way. Which is always great. You know, they were just really enthusiastic. Uh, Port of Portland was about the project. So that was great. Um, with Love Field, I've taken a different tactic. Um, I don't know anyone that's in management there. Um, so I'm basically taking every photograph I can myself. Um, and there are a lot of uh, viewpoints you can get from the airport where you can take photographs of the airside. Um, because it's such a, a an urban airfield, you know, there's not it's not out in the middle of nowhere. So there are roads all the way around it. So you can usually find a place to park and get a photograph of almost anything you need. Um, and Google Earth, you know, the Google Street View and uh, the 3D models and whatnot are really good as a guidepost to kind of show you the rough size and shape and look of buildings. Um, I do all the textures that I do are synthetic. So I don't really use, like, I'm not mapping photographs onto the sides of buildings. I'm creating them from scratch. Um, so the photographs are just kind of there to guide me when I'm creating the textures in the first place. So you really try to go to the airports yourself and get a firsthand account of what they look like. Definitely, yeah. I have only done, I did one airport early, early on. Um, it was my, actually the first one that we charged anything for. It was Reading Regional Airport in Pennsylvania. Um, and someone else took a bunch of photographs of that and sent it to me. And I built the whole airport without ever having seen it and uh, without the benefit of, you know, Google Street View or anything because it didn't exist at the time. Um, and it was the weirdest thing. I went to a flight sim conference. This was in 2003. 
Um, there was an AvSim flight sim conference that was on the grounds of that airport in one of the hangars. Um, and I had already built the airport for the sim before I went based on these photographs. And it was so freaky to walk into this airport that I already knew intimately from having, you know, built it and done everything. And then to be in the real thing. And it was like, it was like going through the looking glass and being able to actually walk around inside your sim. It was really weird. Um, but a lot of fun too. Uh, and, uh, so that's the only time I ever had that experience. Every other time I've actually been to the airport myself and, you know, done as much of the initial survey as I could on my own. What are your initial thoughts on Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020? Um, I'm knocked out. I really am. Uh, I, you know, like everybody else, um, I found out about it the same time everybody else did. I saw the same videos everyone else did and was just absolutely blown away by it. But I thought to myself, as any self-respecting semi-cynic would, that, um, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's nice, but it's, those are videos and those are, those are made for marketing purposes. So I'm going to kind of take everything with a grain of salt that I see there because I saw some, you know, we all remember the God Ray screenshot from back in the FSX days where they were talking about how great DX10 was going to be. Um, and then it turned out that God Ray's had absolutely nothing to do with the simulator. So I'm like, you know, uh, we'll see how things go. Um, but it looks good. But then I talked to people that had actually had their hands on it. They were part of that press junket where they sent, you know, influencers and streamers over to uh, Washington to try it out. And everyone I talked to that had actually put their hands on it said it is every bit as good as what it looks like it is in the videos. Maybe better. Um, we're just knocked out. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> what can I say? Then that's just like, that's Nirvana. That's, that's what we've all been looking for is a sim that looks that good and works that good. So I have a lot of hope. I really do that. It's going to be um, a huge uh, leap forward for, for simulation. Will you be developing for it? Oh, absolutely. Try and stop me. You know, I mean, it really, seriously, if it looks that good, I absolutely want a piece of that. Um, and the beautiful thing is um, that even looking at the promotional videos that they've shown, um, which are just knockouts. I mean, they, the, the wow factor is just off the charts. Um, but I found that uh, the first time I watch one of those videos, every time they come out with a new one, my, my first watching through it, all I can do is just like try to pick my job off the floor and think, how did they make this look so beautiful? But then you, st the, you know, like, like any self-respecting developer, the next thing I do is I go back and I replay and I slow it down and I freeze frame it. And I just look very, very carefully at what they're actually showing. Um, and what I see is super encouraging because what I see is not perfect. What I see is a world that is fantastic, that looks beautiful, that is a great place to start, but that has enough gaps in the data that people like me who want to go in and tinker and make things better will have lots of room to do that. Um, and that excites the heck out of me. It really does. Everybody seems to have a different perspective here. Some developers are just completely like afraid because they think that it's going to destroy their careers because of how uh, Microsoft is doing this satellite based um, satellite based scenery rendering. So you look at it and you see the minor imperfections that are there and, and you get really, really inspired because you know that this is going to be another level of challenge because then you can make it like absolutely perfect. Yeah. I mean, um, just from the standpoint of, of being able to, uh, to create scenery that uses the full PBR system. And clearly from the videos, they've got that all working. 
And, you know, it's got things like it's got screen space, ambient occlusion built into it already. So I don't have to fake that and bake it. It's actually done through shaders in the sim, which, you know, just that one little thing, you wouldn't really know it to look at it. That one little thing would save me so many hours of development time and would mean that it's faster to create a single airport so I can do more airports. I'll have more time to put out more products uh, and get them out there. And the other thing that I, I think a lot of the people who are being a bit more cynical about it are overlooking is the fact that they're putting this kind of resources into uh, PR and marketing for the new sim, the fact that they're introducing it through their Xbox community means there are some almost 70 million people, I think, that are part of the Xbox uh, eco system. Oh, um, that is going to be, you know, these people are all going to be introduced to flight simulation. Now, a lot of them, it may not matter to them, but there is a really good chance, I think, that a tremendous amount of new blood comes into the hobby from this. Um, that people who had never even thought about a flight simulator get really excited about it once they see this. And that can only be good for every aspect of simming, uh, and especially for add-ons. Um, and for enlarging the marketplace and, and really making space for a lot of us to, to take off and run with it. What do you think that the older flight simulation, uh, like the people who have been in it for a while, what do you think that the reaction is going to be with them with a whole new wave of people coming in? Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I think that that in general, they're going to be very enthusiastic about the software. I think people that have been simming for a while and have some sort of context and, and know the history of the hobby will be super into this new sim. Um, I, how they will handle the influx of new people. I mean, you know, anybody who's a member of a community uh, online, whether it be on Facebook or, or, or a forum or whatever, know that that the old timers can be a bit crotchety when 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 the young ones come in and start asking questions that we think of as silly questions or something that you should already know the answer to you yeah. know so i'm hoping that that people will just like bear with them and be nice and try to guide people into the hobby but it takes all kinds and uh we're gonna see a lot of both we'll see a lot of acceptance and we'll see a lot of crotchety old veterans as well um that part's not going to change but you think that you're in, even though you're a veteran, you think that you're in the place where you're really, really excited to see what new people are going to bring to Flight Sim. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I may be a veteran simmer, but I'm also a veteran developer. And the thought of more people who are interested in buying my products just, you know, makes me grin from ear to ear because I need that. We all need that um, in order to keep going with it. Bill, is there anything else that's going to be happening with you and iBlue Yonder in the next few months or the next few years that people who are listening should be looking out for? Well, I mean, I'm, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. I have, I originally thought of iBlue Yonder as, um, I don't know how to say it exactly, as a brand. And I was thinking when I first set it up a few years back, that uh, we would have a storefront and, you know, thinking like, like an Orbex kind of model of, uh, you know, we'd have our own forums and we'd sell, sell software through our own website and whatever. And that has sort of morphed over time into, I think of us as a development studio, um, where a small group of people who produce software, who produce scenery of a very particular quality that you know will, will look a certain way and will behave a certain way. Um, and I'm not necessarily as keen about 
things like selling and and uh, direct marketing and all that with our stuff anymore because we've had really good luck working with fantastic publishers like Orbex um, and like with Flightbeam, whom we did the PDX through. Um, and I think I'm kind of satisfied at this point in my life to be the creator and then turn those creations over to storefronts and to publishers that have the marketing expertise um, to uh, get it out there and find the largest possible audience. Um, in terms of projects that we're working on, Love Field is definitely coming. Um, I am sort of encouraged that as near as we can tell, and this is all just speculation, um, uh, Dallas itself the city of Dallas is not included in the Bing Maps 3D data. So mm -hmm. there's a good chance that at least on the initial release of uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator, um, they won't have the photogrammetry downtown Dallas um, because downtown Dallas is included in the Love Field project that we're working on. Um, and I think, uh, unless I have missed the boat entirely on it, I think that it's going to be able to provide a really great Dallas experience um, and a love field experience in FS 2020 as well. Um, and it certainly is going to look good in, in P3D and in X-Plane. Um, and we're definitely targeting those two as well. Um, and the other project that the one I'm actually involved in most heavily right now um, is sort of a departure uh, for me and departure for Ibu Yadra as a studio. Unfortunately, it's a departure that I can't say anything more about right now because it's one of those early stage things that uh, I have to wait for for uh, the publisher to uh, announce before I can say anything about it. Bill, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, very happy to do it. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much again, Bill, for being on the show. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about your scenery development process and your thoughts on Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. Any little bit of insight that we can get on what's going to happen from the developer's perspective is important, I think, at this time, since we still don't know that much about the simulator. Make sure to check out Bill's products on iblueyonder.com. That's I-B-L-U-E-Y-O-N-D-E-R dot C-O-M, iblueyonder.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of InFlight. Catch you guys next week.